In 2019, a parent's worst nightmare became a reality for Granger Smith, a country singer who lost his three-year-old son, River, in a drowning accident. In the years since, he's learned to lean into his faith in a truly inspiring way. Welcome to the Prodigal Stories podcast, a show where Billy Hallowell and I take you through some of the most powerful stories of the day. Stories of hope, transformation, and intrigue. Granger Smith is joining us to talk about processing grief, finding God in the midst of pain, as well as his role in the new PureFlix movie, Moonrise, in which he plays a widowed singer-songwriter trying to reconnect with his daughter, who just lost her mother. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Trey. Thanks for having me. Well, it's such a busy time of the year. I can't believe that we're already at the end of, of 2022. Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, but you also have a movie uh, that's that's out now on PureFlix, Moonrise. Tell us a little bit about how that opportunity came about. Yeah, it's crazy because you say it in the, in the terms of this year. And uh, this almost this whole year now has been me and Moonrise, this movie, because we started filming uh, just a few weeks into January of this year. And here we are, uh, it's just releasing and we're a few weeks to the end of 2022. So this whole year has been really wrapped up in it. And I found out about it last Thanksgiving. I was sent the script and I, I'm not really pursuing acting or that's not something that's normal to me. So getting a script is is different. And so I ended up reading it. I had my, my little boy Maverick was asleep on my shoulder. And so while he was asleep, I thought, oh, I've got a little time. I might as well read that movie script thing, thinking that I probably wouldn't do it. But I read the story and I really liked it. I really liked this character. And I, I, I wanted to embrace the opportunity to try to portray him. And so I called him and I said, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Not knowing what that might mean to uh, for my memorization and for, for just the, the intense schedule that it would call for. You know, most people, like you said, you you weren't maybe anticipating a career in acting. Most people who are familiar with Granger Smith know you for your music. Uh, you're a country singer, and now you're stepping into an acting role. Did you anticipate ever or have any desire in your mind to ever go into acting? No, I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, um, lately, the, over the last few years, I've just, I've truly embraced the idea that the future is none of my business. I, I open up my hands and we have a sovereign God. We have a providential God that once we open up to him and we say, this is for your kingdom, not mine. And we turn, we turn our palms open. He says, I will make new things. I will bring things to you. I will give you desires of your heart. And that has, that, that has led me to the, the idea that I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but uh, but I'm totally open to whatever God has a plan for. Yeah. And, you know, your character in Moonrise is a widower. So it's someone who's familiar with loss. But you and your personal life, of course, are familiar with loss. How how has loss being so real in your personal life impacted how you portrayed your character in Moonrise? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I I probably took the role starting with because because of that because because of my um familiarity with loss and i don't know if i would have taken it if i would have thought to myself ah, i don't it's, it's kind of disrespectful to take a role of a man that's lost and hurting and grieving if i don't know anything about it and that, that doesn't make me special at all in fact it makes me part of a fraternity no one wants to be in but yeah. but but eventually everyone will go through it that's just 
if, if you live in a family with friends and you love them and you live on this planet long enough, you will experience deep, tragic loss. And so we could either um, embrace that now or be blind to it when it does come. Mm. You know, I can't, I can't even begin. And so many people would be in the same boat. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around. I don't have any children of my own, but I can't imagine the the process of losing a child. Yet that's something that you went through and you've gone through so publicly, which is another layer, I would imagine, to the grief, right? You're not only having to process it internally as a family, but you're also processing it in the public eye. And I remember I was looking at, at some interviews you had done. You said in 2020 that you were in the process of forgiving yourself, but you mm. weren't there yet. Uh, I want to ask, you know, where do you see yourself now and, and how has God helped maybe shape some of that process for you? Yeah, I, I um, ended up writing a book about that and it's going to come out in 2023. But um, just he, I would like to hear that interview of that guy that you're talking about um, mm-hmm. that said that that said those words, because I've had a lot of thinking since then, and um, I've definitely processed it um, daily. Now, on a side note, my wife and I have have processed that grief publicly on purpose. That was a that's a choice because we could have just closed our doors and told every media outlet we're not talking about that. Um, only talk about music, nothing else. We could have done that, but we chose from the very beginning, as we saw that if we are vulnerable with our story, then we we have the opportunity to help others. Mm-hmm. And through the helping of others, not because we're just these, you know, we're taking this moral high ground and we're, you know, we're, we're these kind of people that, you know, feed off that. It's what happens is when we do help others through our grief, we realize that is part of our healing, a big part of our healing, because we could realize through that, 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 that tragedy and loss and hurt and sadness and pain for a Christian is not meaningless. Yeah. It has a purpose. As Paul said, it is, it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we, we realize that we grieve with hope, that grieving hurts, that it is painful, but it is not meaningless. Mm. You know, there's a, a post that you shared not that long ago on social media where you're talking about everything happens for a reason, right? God allows all kinds of things, the good and the bad, to happen yeah. for a reason, but we don't see the full picture all the time. Uh, we are only able to see what's right in front of us. And that's actually a theme that's throughout Moonrise too, right? Is is this father and and kids that are learning to process something and they're only seeing a really small piece of the picture, as tough as that is. Why do you think it's so important that we only see what's in front of us? Why does God shield us from seeing everything? Well, if we could see everything, then we would. It's imagine, imagine like this. Uh, I think what you're probably referring to is the when I talk about the mosaic. Yeah, and it's like this idea that if you there's this beautiful European mosaic artwork, you know, those little tiles all stacked up around each other. And if you're looking at it up close, it just looks like a blob. It looks like nothing. But when you start stepping back slowly, you could see it's a beautiful masterpiece. But if the very beginning, if you could see that it was a beautiful masterpiece, you'd say, oh, this is my life. This is what it turns out to be. Great. Then I'm going to start planning on this part of my life because that's great. And I really want, and God's like, no, I don't want you on that part. I need you to go through this part. 
God does this. God builds these beautiful stories, these beautiful narratives, this beautiful mosaic over and over as we see his character revealed in the Bible. For instance, when, he, when we prophesy, when the Bible prophesies that there's going to be a baby born, the savior of the world in Bethlehem, why didn't God just choose a girl from Bethlehem? But no, he chooses one from Nazareth. And then has to coordinate this big, this massive census and, and then take this, this girl on a donkey. And then there's not a room left. And so she has to go into the barn, into the hay. Like, that is so difficult. Why does God do that? Because he writes these beautiful narratives. And, and it, it, we should look at the Bible and see this and go, man, my life can't be cookie cutter. Because that's just mm -hmm. not the way God operates. He doesn't yeah. pick a girl from Bethlehem that's already in her house and has a baby right there in the home. That's not how he works. He builds these stories. Why can David just be the first king? Why didn't David, why didn't God anoint David as the first king? No, he needed to anoint Saul so that Saul could then torment David, so that David could be humbled and David could learn how to appropriate mercy and grace to his people through Saul. But we don't we don't always see it like that when we're in a hard time. We don't realize that. When my favorite movie always has the bad guy. And if mm -hmm. you take the bad guy out of the movie, it wouldn't be my favorite movie anymore. It'd be really boring. And that's what God does in our lives. And when we finally step back, we see the beautiful picture that he has painted. Yeah. You know, I think that's something that's beautiful about film too, right? Is it communicates these truths in a way that maybe we wouldn't be receptive to them in a sermon. Sometimes if you're not somebody who goes to church, you may not be really interested in that. Uh, but this a movie like Moonrise might spark an interest, right? It might, might open yeah. up a dialogue. So tell us a little bit about why you think it's important for films to start this conversation sometimes. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Um, it, it, for someone that just that goes, you know, I've heard about this faith thing. You know, I know people talk about Jesus and I know he was the son of God and he was born in a major. I, and I get it. And why was why did he come? Oh, yeah, something about a cross and he died. And there, I mean, that's probably most Americans could say that. Now, that's crazy because, you know, two, 2000 years ago, 1500 years ago, a thousand years ago, that was brand new information. But now we've come to this strange, this strange part of history where people are like, yeah, I heard it. I know it. Got it. But then you could see a movie like Moonrise. Maybe that would be the hope that you can go, oh, it's more than just a happy life. Like Christianity, giving my life to Christ is more than just he's going to bless me with wealth or he's going to heal my all my pain. You mean you mean a guy could live for this? A, a guy could be brought out of the deepest, darkest depression when he surrenders to this without his own effort at all. You mean that's what this is about? Okay, let me see, let me hear more. What's the mm -hmm. next step? And then that's that's where globally Christians at that point go. Come, I'll tell you the next step. Yeah, yeah. Let's sit down. Let's have some coffee. I'll tell you about it. I want to ask you too, as we kind of round out the conversation, the movie also has some original music in it, uh, which is exciting. So to tell us a little bit about some of the, the work that you did, not only acting, but also bringing music and kind of sharing your heart in that way as well. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't the intention when I first got the script and agreed to the role, but, but there was a movie, oh, there, excuse me, there was a, there was a song in the movie, in the script, and it had a title called Forever Forward. 
And I texted the director and I said, can you send me that song so that I can start learning it? Because my character has to write and perform the song in the film. And she said, no, that, that song doesn't exist. That's just a placeholder, hoping that maybe we'd find a song to put in there. And I said, well, I said, I like the title you have, Forever Forward. Let me just try to write that. So I wrote that on Christmas Eve 2021. And that was the first song that went into the film. And then there was a, a second song that my character plays live in a dance hall. And I asked if I could have that one. And she said, I don't have any songs. If you want to write them, you can. So then that started a new journey of writing songs for each moment in the film. Yeah. Well, the last question I want to ask you is just for the Christian or or non-believer, whoever who's struggling with loss. I think Christmas is either a great season for people uh, or it can also be a tough season because it magnifies those losses for people. So if somebody's struggling right now as we're entering into the holiday season, what word of wisdom or, or encouragement would you give them? Yeah, first of all, you're not alone. And that's a normal feeling. You could feel, you could feel a couple different ways. And one of them could be, you know, I'm, I'm a Grinch. I need to stop this. Like, I, I don't really feel like decorating the house right now. Uh, I don't really feel like putting up Christmas lights outside. And I don't really feel like inviting people over and eating turkey and ham. I kind of just want to crawl in the closet and just cry and stay in the dark. And you know what? That's a normal feeling. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact, no one would blame you for that. There are so many millions of people this Christmas right now thinking this. And I've talked to a lot of them. And, and I'm sure you have too, Trey. People are going through this. People have lost, they lost their mother in May. They lost their father in September. They lost their grandpa in February. And here we are, the first Christmas without them. So the message is, first of all, we hear you. You're not alone. There is joy on the other side of this. You will not feel this way every Christmas from now on. You will one day smile and, and open up a gift from your spouse and say, Grandpa would have loved this because Grandpa loved Christmas so much. And you'll smile instead of cry. Mm-hmm. The, other side of the, the other side of that coin is this Christmas, someone experiencing loss might accidentally smile and instantly feel guilt for that. Yeah. How could you smile? How could you, how do you dare smile when your grandpa's gone and he loved this and he taught you everything you know about Christmas? How could you smile without him here? And that is a lie from the enemy. And, and that, that is a, that guilt is a thief that's coming in to steal your joy. When the reality is joy and grief can coexist at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with crying or laughing or smiling this holiday season with whatever you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that's a, a great place to leave the conversation. There's so much wisdom uh, in 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 your words. So I appreciate Granger Smith, you taking a few minutes. The new movie is Moonrise on Pure Flix. You can check it out now. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Trey. Appreciate your brother. Well, that was Granger Smith, and now I'm joined as Billy Hallowell, my my fearless comrade in this uh in this podcast that we have not. We should just be honest, Billy. In 2022, we have not been as consistent as we need to be. No. But and 2023 I, will be different. <laughs> I mean, allegedly. It, no, no, it will be. It will be. I am I love this show. We both love this show. And the fall got a little crazy. But next season of this show is going to be amazing. We've got a lot of great people coming. So I'm excited for that. And 
I'm excited for today because there'll be a little yeah. treat at the end of this conversation, but I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. Right, right. But okay. So this conversation with Granger uh, Smith, he was great. It was awesome to talk to him about obviously his new movie, uh, Moonrise on Pure Flix, but also just to know his story because really the first time I was aware of Granger Smith was when he went through that horrific accident three years ago when he lost his son river in a drowning accident. But it's been really cool to see how his faith has kind of evolved or he's become more open about his Christian faith uh, since that accident. I don't know. Was there anything in particular, Billy, that stuck out to you that really made an impact? Yeah. You know, I thought, I thought it was really interesting hearing him talk about the decision to publicly address and not just publicly address, because you have to do that when you're a public figure, the death of his son, but to publicly mourn and how that was a decision that they made. And when you make a decision like that, realizing that people are watching you and the way you react and the ability to point people back to God, even in the midst of struggle and pain, and that, you know, in those moments, actually, you sometimes have the best opportunity to do that, uh, but that they made that decision to openly, openly mourn. And I just thought, wow, you know, a lot of other people might make a different choice, but they felt led to do that. And the result, I would imagine, is many people feeling relief in their own circumstances in their life when they've gone through similar things. Um, so I just found that to be a really powerful part of your conversation with him. Yeah. And, you know, I loved the way that he's kind of come to understand that tragedy and and going through those hardships as as tools that the Lord will use to to impact our lives in a positive way, right? Like he talked about even uh, the Christmas story and how Jesus or the Lord could have picked any number of more convenient situations to bring Jesus into the world. But he chose a teenage girl who was not yet married. Uh, and, you know, to the world, I think we would look and say, she got pregnant outside of marriage. She was a teenager. She was not a wealthy person. Neither was Joseph a wealthy man. Uh, and they're now thrust into this really chaotic and really difficult trial, right? But it ended up being, of course, the savior of the world coming into the world. So the Lord takes what I think the world may see as evil or even what Satan, as scripture would say, meant for evil and use it for good and use it you know, to, to bring glory to his name, but also to make our lives better. Ultimately, it might not make our life better in the moment, but ultimately it makes our lives better. And the way that Granger has used his platform to share that testimony, I think is, is really impactful and encouraging. And, you know, God must like laugh at us a little bit too, because, you know, human beings assuming that the Messiah is going to be like this king on a massive throne, you know, coming in with all these riches and he's born to Mary and Joseph, right? Like the polar, like you were saying, like the polar opposite scenario. And I think our lives, you know, a lot of times we face difficulty and pain and struggle and life is not always easy. Um, as you'll hear later on in in this show from another guest, um, another little drop for a hint for our little surprise. But but life is tough, and you know, in the midst of that, knowing that we can turn to the Lord and find the peace and the trust in Him, and going through the loss of a child is the most unimaginable pain on the face of the earth. I think there are a few things that are more painful than that, and so just the grace with which He even is able to discuss that, um, and then you know, carry on in a career and and remain being public. I just, I really admire that. And I admire his love for the Lord that he's not afraid to to also openly state. Yeah. And, you know, as we round out the, this, this part of the conversation, um, 
I want to highlight what Granger had to say, too, about those who are grieving during Christmas, because I think that's so important, uh, because there's a lot of joy and a lot of great things and a lot of fun uh, to be had at Christmas time. But also, it's, it can be difficult if you've lost a child or if you've lost a, a loved one, a parent or a grandparent. I know in October, my grandpa passed away. So seeing my grandma mourning that loss, and, and there's a lot of firsts, right? This is going to be first Thanksgiving, and then your first Christmas coming up in a couple of days. So that can be really tough. Um, but I appreciated what Granger had to say. Just look, we we hear you. It's completely normal to feel down and to feel discouraged. But you can hold those two things at the same time, right? You can be discouraged and you can go through the grieving process, but you can also have joy in, in what Christmas represents, uh, that it is a celebration of Christ coming into the world and, and the beginning of that redemption process through the gospel. So there's reason to, to, to go through that sorrow and to process it in a healthy way, but also to find joy in, in, and what's happening currently, right? And to not let not let Satan trick you into thinking, if I have fun today, if I enjoy Christmas Day, does that mean I'm not paying homage or respect to the loved one that I lost? And that's Satan's way of kind of sneaking in and trying to steal joy from you in the moment. And I thought there was so much truth in what he had to say about that. Well, yeah, I mean, Satan wants to ruin everything. He wants to kill, steal, destroy, make us doubt, question, be in pain, fear. And I think one thing for me is remembering this season that even though I love this season and, you know, it's so important to me, people really struggle, like you were saying. And, you know, you had a loss in your family, even for those who do love the season, you know, that you're always going to you're always going to reflect on that loss. It's never going to not be there. Um, but people are really struggling financially even this season. How yeah. can we serve people and be there for them and listen to them and not just be so like we don't want to shatter our happiness and contentedness in our worship of Jesus at this time of year. But at the same time, we want to make room to make sure we're there for those people who are struggling. And so it's always a good reminder for me to know that this is not an easy season for a lot of people. Um, as as Granger was saying. So really appreciate yeah. that too. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. But we should move on to the surprise we have for the, the second part of this podcast. Do you want to tell us what it is, Billy? Well, yes. Yes, I do. Trey. <laughs> uh, because we have, you know, not been as consistent lately, we actually have uh, another interview, a second interview um, with a movie director. His name is Josh Ank. And he is the director of I Heard the Bells, which is a film that actually it's an incredible true story. It's based on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's um, story of sort of losing faith, coming back to faith and his incredible poetry uh, career. And this is a movie tray that you loved, right? You saw this film and really loved it. Yeah, no, I'm I am obsessed with this movie. If it's still in theaters where you are when you're listening to this podcast, I know some of some areas it's going to be even in the beginning of January, it'll still be in theaters. So if you're listening to this and you can go see it, definitely go check it out. But also it's going to be on on uh, their streaming platform, Sight and Sound streaming platform too, right, Billy? Yes, it's going to be streaming there um, on Sight and Sound. And so you can check that out. And again, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because Sight and Sound, it's a stage production organization. Yeah. They, they have two locations, one in Pennsylvania, one in Branson, Missouri, and they do these incredible stage shows. And now they've moved into films and this is their first film. And so we want to actually air our interview for you with Josh Ank. And so here's what he had to say. It's incredible. Listen to him and go and stream it after the conversation. Well, Josh Ank, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good, Trey. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, it's so exciting to have you here. I'm also with uh, my colleague, Billy Hallowell. And, you know, this movie, I Heard the Bells from Sight and Sound Theaters, it's y'all's first film. Uh, obviously, you're known for your uh, elaborate productions, your biblical productions, but this is the first film that's been released in theaters nationwide. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to tell this story about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Yeah. Well, first of all, good morning and hello, Billy. It's uh, great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, for those who are not familiar with Sight and Sound, uh, we have been around for 46 years and bringing the Bible to life on stage. Um, if you haven't seen our productions, they're massive. <laughs> they're they're uh, 300 foot wrap around with live animals and we bring the Bible characters to life. And, uh, and we've been doing that consistently for 46 years and we felt led by the Lord to uh, to expand our ministry reach, uh, particularly after the COVID experience. Um, we saw how impactful our productions were on, on media and getting them out there on what's called Sight and Sound TV. And uh, we had always we always considered film. Um, we knew that it's a powerful medium for storytelling, obviously. And it kind of went hand in hand with what we do on the stage. And so the time came, you know, it felt right. And, uh, and it was on my heart um, to do a Christmas story. I wanted to do something around the holidays just because of uh, my experience has been People's hearts are softened towards the things of the Lord around the holidays, and uh, and they're open to things and spiritual truths more than other times of the year, um, second to you know Easter, of course. And um, I love history, American history, and we're surrounded by it, and we're starting to forget what it is. We're starting to forget much of our past, much of our roots. And so uh, when the Christmas song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, came into my, our hearts and minds, it's such a powerful backstory, and I love the story behind the story. I'm one of those geeks that loves to, you know, find out how was that, when was that written, why was that written, and it did not take long uh, to look into Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's uh, history and past, and to realize where he was at in 1863 when he penned that poem. Where was the nation in 1863? You know, a nation divided and uh, turmoil and unrest. And something so beautiful, like a poem coming out of such a mess, uh, was really inspiring to me. And so when I thought about a Christmas story, and I love the song, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and I read about Henry Longfellow, I thought, you know what, I think this has what it takes to at least be a first step forward into the foray of film. What went in, because you talked about that research and getting that part of it right. It's one thing to learn the story. It's another thing to then create the story, bring it to life, keep it you know, accurate, and then at the same time have enough to tell a theatrical narrative. So what yeah. went into that storytelling in terms of the research? How how heavy was that? Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> you know, interesting, Billy, it was during COVID that uh, I wrote this script and my co-writer, Jeff Bender, and I, you know, we were, you know, we weren't in the office together. We were in our homes and I was in my basement where I have my study. And um it was a, a time of reflection and it was a time of um, deep, you know, um, uh, reflection on, on my heart and where the nation's at and what's going on. None of us knew, you know, how far this COVID thing was going to go. And so, um, you know, I just poured myself into um, the history of, of this person. And I found out that Henry Longfellow wasn't just America's most famous poet at the time, but he was known as America's most famous person. So like when I say Steven Spielberg, you all know who I'm talking about. That's who he was. And I thought, how on earth did he go from such a prominent place in our culture 
and such an influencer to not even knowing who he is. And that got me excited. I got excited that that Americana kind of forgot who this was because I like kind of resurrecting somebody's um, story, you know, from the ashes, if you will. And so um, just literally, you know, it was a lot of research online, incredible resources. I went up to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he lived with Fanny and his family, which is still a history museum. Uh, it's still set up exactly the way that Longfellow had it. Um, and uh, you can still see his original writing desk and his pens and papers, and it's incredible. And so we went and visited that up in Massachusetts. And then being in Lancaster County, you know, where literally people are still traveling by horse and buggy. And we, <laughs> I live in a, in a, in a farmhouse that was built in the early 1800s. I'm sitting in a restored barn that was built in the 1800s. We're kind of surrounded by um, that lifestyle anyway. And it wasn't hard to go into our backyard here and find resources, uh, reenactors, um, costumes, design. It's just kind of baked into the Lancaster County thing. It really wasn't difficult. It was incredibly exciting uh, to discover mm -hmm. his story. And what was the casting process like, too? Because when you look at uh, Stephen Atherholt, uh, particularly when you see him older as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, yeah. the resemblance is almost uh, identical. So what was yeah. that process like? Oh, my goodness. Well, on a, truly, 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 the Lord it completely hooked us up in this process. I mean, we did something in two years, it was exactly two years that should have really taken us three and a half years. And uh, the things that he lined up for us were unbelievable. And one of them was the casting process. I auditioned two people uh, for the role of Henry. Uh, I worked with Stephen Atherholt on stage. Uh, I cast him in several roles over the years. I knew the quality of an actor he is. He's professional. He teaches acting at a, a local college. And so he takes his craft incredibly seriously. And he, he has that look that really can be um, applicable to different roles. And uh, he could play an antagonist. He can play a protagonist. Um, but I, I auditioned him. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was something, a quality about him, a truthfulness about him that, um, that really, you know, complemented the way that the film was written. Um, he didn't have to put on a character. He kind of just became, you know, he was himself. But the resemblance piece, uh, that didn't really jump out at me until we saw him uh, in a couple of our wigs and, um, and costumes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how'd we do that? How did that happen? Uh, and then, so we totally moved in that direction and, um, you know, and made it, made it uh, as accurate as possible. We really wanted this film to be historically accurate. Um, and not, not over-dramatize and create fiction where we don't need to. Um, but yeah, no, Steve, uh, I was just so proud of the whole cast. Uh, Steve just knocked it out of the park. What, what, you know, getting into the actual story without giving away too much, cause we want people to watch the film, but, but Longfellow's story of overcoming hardship and, and sort of rekindling his faith. Yeah. When you look at that, what were some of the things that stuck out to you the most, the biggest lessons from that? Well, first of all, I love stories where, um, you know, you think you have it all um, and then you, lo you lose what you, you know, think is everything only to find that there's a deeper source and a deeper purpose. And, um, and re the word redemption is one of my favorite words, which is to buy something back that was stolen or taken away. And so when we see this man, Henry Longfellow, at the top of the film and he, you know, really does have it all. He's a happy family man, incredible marriage with his wife. And that's all true story. 
Uh, he's a successful writer. Um, he was uh, retired from public speaking. He's able to kind of live on uh, on just his poems and his writings. He was known as a fireside poet, and he's in demand. And um, when there was tragedy suddenly in his life, and and the thing that was closest to him was gone, uh, that thing that anchored his faith, he almost lived vicariously through another person uh, to find his faith. And so when that person was removed from his life, he had to find it on his own. And that's not easy. And I think a lot of us, um, you know, um, kind of count on other people sometimes for our spiritual strength and journey. And in this case, um, that person was 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 uh, was removed tragically from Henry's life, and he had to find it on his own. And it's not easy. And I think that's really the message I want every viewer to watch this, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, that, you know, as a Christian male, I'm saying, man, life is hard. It just is. We're going to have ups. We're going to have downs. And Jesus didn't say if the storms of life come, he says when they come. And so we are going to get beat up in this world. And I don't want to sugarcoat anything. And I think this what this film does is it removes that plastic filter that we make thing everything okay. Um, you know, as a believer, everything's going to be okay. What's meant to be will be okay. Well, you know, it's going to, it's going to hurt and there's going to be pain. And, but that's exactly the place that Christ meets us and then resurrects the real um, spirit person, spirit man inside of each of us. And so with, with Longfellow, um, I, that thing was removed and he had to find it on his own and it wasn't easy. But when he found it, he picked up his pen again. His voice came back, you know, he, he, his voice rang out again and it was in a more pure and holy and grounded and anchored place because he had to find it on his own and not have somebody else in his life do it for him. You know, I think one of the most powerful aspects of the film is that it shows, despite all of those hardships that you just detailed that Longfellow went through, uh, with the Lord, nothing is wasted, right? He redeemed right. everything. Uh, and, and there was a purpose in all of the pain that Longfellow and his family went through. And I, I want to ask just personally for this this film, it's been extended several times. It was supposed to be a, a very short, limited release. It's been extended in theaters three, maybe four times. Uh, mm -hmm. Were you expecting this kind of success? How have you seen the Lord use the film since you released it? Yeah, no, we're all very surprised and very pleased. Um, but we're not shocked because um, it was, um, it's, a, it's a song that's been moving people's hearts for over a hundred years, you know, so there's a power in those lyrics. You know, when you have lyrics that go from, and in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it ends with, then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. When you have two bookends like that, there's a story in there and there's a character arc in there that is going to absolutely be compelling. And so we knew that we had a solid story to tell, especially now, because there's a, a million and a half homes who don't have a loved one sitting around the table at Christmas because of COVID for the last two years. And what people are experiencing loss. That's not why we did this story, uh, but it sure is striking a chord out there. We're getting so many testimonies of people who are saying, thank you. I see myself in Henry. I see myself in Charlie, the estranged son who ran away from the pain. Um, and, and that is not surprising. That's how the Lord works. But we're very pleased, <laughs> I mean, you know, to, uh, to have uh, from East Coast to West Coast wanting to see this film uh, and the 97% 
oh, an audience approval rating and all those things are showing us that, oh, wow, geesh, man, I guess we kind of did do something, didn't we? You know, <laughs> from from our basement during COVID to now, it's, it's obvious the Lord did something special and we're so thankful to him for it. Yeah. Well, Josh Anker, the director of I Heard the Bells, uh, the Christmas movie about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow from Sight and Sound Films. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us today. Yeah, Trey, Billy, it's great to be here. Thank you so much and uh, for supporting the film. Thank you.